We started a series at launch two weeks ago, and the series was titled, Your Story Begins Here. And we talked about how Jesus is the author of our stories. We talked about how Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He is the author. He is the one that begins the story, and he's the one that ends the story. And last week, we went, ventured out into learning about this man called David. We started a sub-series called uh, The Giant Slayer, in which we started discussing and talking about how you and I are called not just to be people that are in our professions and in our jobs and in our families and not just involved in that, but we are called for a mightier purpose than just what defines us in our profession, what defines us as a family man or a family woman or a child of God or all these things. These are roles and responsibilities that we play. But we talked about, amen, I got an amen, thank God. But we talked about how David was a man with a heart. And that's so important for us to understand and we're gonna pick up from where we left off last Sunday. If, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you guys, either listen to our podcast, you can tune into our podcast, subscribe to it, or you can, uh, you can even uh, listen to it on, on Facebook, I think, or on YouTube, there's one of our links. If you follow our page on, on um, Facebook, there should be a link to our message last week. So I, I urge you to go and listen to it, so it'll make a lot more sense. But we went to 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we studied about this man called David. A nobody a misfit, a guy that nobody even considered and looked to, small by stature. We talked about how the Bible called him a pretty boy, a boy with pretty eyes, right? He looked cute. If somebody looked at him, they would be like, oh, he's cute, right? He was, he was not a young man in that he was, uh, you know, he was pretty mature to where he knew what God was about and what the things of God was. He knew all of that stuff. He wasn't a little boy running around like we hear in our Sunday school stories. Here's a man that knew where his heart was and his heart was after God. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we studied about how David, a man who was a nobody, God honored and made him a somebody. And the Bible talks about how it was possible because David was a man after God's own heart. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, so go with me if you can, and, and we will have the verses on the screen as well if you, can't, uh, if, if you don't have your Bibles with you. But here's what the Bible says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Here is David's father bringing all the handsome men, the older brothers in front of Samuel the prophet who was about to bless and anoint the new king of Israel. This was not a transition that happened within a day or it wasn't going to be a transition that happened within a week. It was supposed to be a transition that happened over the course of time. But here is David anointed by God, and that's where we left off last week, where Samuel anoints him, he puts his oil on him. And as Jesse, David's father, parades all of the brothers in front of Samuel the prophet, Samuel looks at each one of them and says, God says no to him, God says no to him, he might be muscular, he might look like Mr. Israel, he might look like he's buff and he's strong, but that's not what God is looking at. 
And he says, this is what God is looking at. He says, people looked at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The first thing we learn about David is that David was a man of heart. A few things show me why God saw David's heart more than David's appearance. When someone says that a person has a big heart, it shows a certain level of commitment. David was committed. Someone say committed. David was given a responsibility, and this responsibility was not a small responsibility. Let me, let me assure you. Everyone says, oh, David was a shepherd boy. But David's family was a family of shepherds. They were big into farming. They were big into uh, sheep, and they were big into their cattle, and they had a, a lot of sheep, and he was given the responsibility. David was given the, the beautiful responsibility of tending the sheep that belonged to the father's house. That was their source of income, mark you. That was what brought bread on the tables. That exactly was what gave David's family the money that they needed to survive as a household. They were a farming house. So if you look at David and say, oh, he was a shepherd boy. No, 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 he was just not a shepherd boy. He was a shepherd which means he had one of the biggest tasks in the house, which was to wake up in the morning, make sure he takes the sheep to graze, make sure the sheep had, were fed, make sure the sheep was safe. So he was a man of responsibility, he was committed, and that's why more than the older brothers, and more than stature and handsome and muscular, his father looked at him and said, here is a boy that is trustworthy. Here is a boy that I can give myself to and, and give my inheritance to and give what belongs to me to. And I don't have a smallest fear in my heart that he will mishandle my finances. He was committed to his sheep and his father saw that. The Bible talks about how he protects the sheep and how he made sure that nothing, no harm befell them. The Bible talks to us about how a lion came at David and his sheep and tried to steal his sheep and a bear comes and David says, I went after them and I made sure I snatched that, I don't know what he was made out of, but he had some courage. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. He was willing to go to any extreme to make sure he took care of that which he was entrusted with. You know, that's what, that's what it means when it says he had heart. If you have heart, you and I will make sure that you're committed to that which you have heart in. The things that God has committed you with, the things that God has entrusted you in, those are things that you will stand up and say, you know what, God trusted me with this. It could be a job, it could be your children, it could be your finances, it could be a responsibility that you have in your community or your city. I don't know what it is. It could be in your church, a ministry that you're doing. I don't know. But God looks at you and says, man, if I've given you a responsibility, it takes heart to execute that with diligence and excellence. You can easily look at somebody that doesn't have heart and say if that person is doing it with passion or not. And what God saw was the character of a king inside of David. Remember the places that God puts you in. He's looking at how affectionate you are to those places. Yeah, I'm talking about your job. Yeah, people say don't love your job too much. But man, I want to encourage you as a Christian, love your job. 
Show your boss that you love you, what you do. Show people around you that you are committed to that which you were assigned to do, that which you were paid to do. Don't just say, I'm just gonna do my nine to five or nine to four or whatever your hours are, and as soon as you're, the, the, the clock strikes five, you're out of there. But sometimes it takes diligence to say, hey, this was entrusted to me, and I'm gonna prove to the people that trusted me with this that I'm diligent, that I'm focused, that people can trust me. And that's what heart is. His father could trust him. When you do your present job with the same responsibility, I'm telling you, the dreams that you have, the aspirations that you have, his commitment was portrayed in his integrity. David possessed this heart of integrity. In Psalm 78, verse 70 to 72, this is what the Bible says. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep. He brought him to the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them you know what integrity is integrity is what you are when no one else is looking integrity is being away from everybody you know and choosing the right movie to go to integrity is doing your job when there is no superior around you and doing it right integrity is what kind of language you use uh, when your Christian friends are around and when your non-Christian friends are around God knew David as one with a heart of integrity and, and, and my question to you is would God say the same thing about you this morning? Because for you and I to have heart and for God to choose a king in David, he said, man, more than your looks, I'm looking at your dedication, I'm looking at your commitment, I'm looking at your heart and what heart means is 100% I'm committed to what I do. So I'm waking up in the morning every single day at the same time, even if I'm sick, even if I'm tired, even if I'm, I'm, I don't wanna do anything in my life right now, at this moment, I'm committed to this and I'm gonna make sure that my commitment is reflected in my my, pro, my produce, what I produce, what I, what I bring forth from me. The second thing that shows me that David was a man of heart was his passion. You gotta understand, passion begins with a dream. And not just a dream, but passion relates to how you, he was a worshiper and, and, and his heart was one of worship, not bitterness or jealousy, not strife. I'm telling you something, when, when, when I look at, I'm, I'm gonna speed right through this, but when God looked at David, God looked at him and said, man, here is a person that is perfect, that fits in the mold of a king because, you know, I, we, we tried this, Israel tried this. We had Saul, who was a so-called king. We had Saul, who was this man of strength and honor. He was one of the tallest of all the Israelites he had everything going for him but right now I don't need a man who is tall what Israel needs is not a good looking man we need a man with heart and when God looked he said it's not Eliab it's not Abinadab it's not all these people that I want it's not Shema he looked at David and said man this is a dude that knows how to worship me so I know in the most stressful of his times as a king when he has to make the most difficult decisions he's not going to look at man, he's going to look at me. Heart means when your heart is given to God where God can look at you and say, that's a man, that's a woman after my own heart. Not only was he those two things, but he was also courageous. 
He ran after lions. He was, a, he was a lion chaser. And this is my question. Do you run away when trouble is closed or do you run towards the problem with a prayer? And that's what David did every single time he was faced with a problem. Heart means your ability and my ability to look at our circumstances, to look at our problems, to look at the things that come against us and say, you know what? The word of God tells me that I'm more than a conqueror. And the heart of David was one of a conqueror. And we're talking about a giant slayer. That's what we're talking about. The story story of a giant slayer, a man who was a nobody, a man that was nothing, a man that people looked down on, and God is looking at, a, at him and saying, man, people disregard you, but they're about to see that it takes heart to be a giant slayer more than anything else. So this is where we pick up in chapter number 16 and verse number 17, right? Here's where we're going. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. So fast forward, what happens? So David is anointed as the new king of Israel. And this is what, it, it's not like, it didn't go down like this. David was anointed, Samuel anoints David, and the next day he gets on the throne. That's not what happened, right? Samuel goes his merry way, and David is going back to tend his sheep. Now, I want you to process that for a second. God gives him a glimpse. God gives him a glimpse of what exactly his future is going to be like. Man, in our, in our lives, oftentimes it's like that. We see a glimpse of the blessing that God wants to give us, but oftentimes the blessing doesn't happen immediately. David didn't take it for granted that he didn't even expect to be king. Sometimes your blessing is going to come in the most, most unexpected of moments. And sometimes God is going to take you to the mountain and he's going to take you right back down because he wants to see if he can trust you with that responsibility that he's about to give you. And one day he's being anointed. One day oil is being poured on his head. He's being anointed and saying, you are the next king of Israel. I'm not looking at your looks. I'm looking at your heart. And Daniel's, uh, David is happy. And the next day, whoosh, He's back tending his sheep every single day. He didn't look at his promotion and say, oh, I'm promoted. I don't need to look at, I don't need to go and tend sheep anymore. And that's the beauty that I want to share with you guys today. That there's something that makes a giant slayer a giant slayer. You will, you're not going to be carried away by temporary things that come in your life. Glimpses of the future. Glimpses of blessing that you see. Remember to stay faithful to your original calling. And God called him to be a shepherd. And he went back to being a shepherd. And he said, when God's time is right, he will honor me. Because he was not intending to be there. He was not intending to be called. He was actually surprised when they came and said, hey, David, we can't have dinner without you guys. There's this prophet called Samuel. He says, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And David's like, me? And God's like, yep. And so David is right here. And in chapter number 16, he's tending his sheep. And this man called Saul, who is the present king of Israel, the Bible says he's, he's going through this mental spiral, right? This mental breakdown of sorts and he's having bad dreams and he's tormented by evil spirits and he looks and he says, man, I want someone to come play music for me and a lot of you know how the story goes down and he says, I need somebody to just come and pour life into me and, and someone says, hey, have you heard of David? We've heard him in the, in the, in, in, in the you know, when he's tending his sheep. I've, we've heard him many times playing his harp and his music is beautiful. He has the anointing on him. Man, when you have the anointing on you, people will talk about you. When you have God on your side, 
When you have God in your life, when you put God front and center in your life, man, you will get unwanted attention. Even people that you didn't want looking at you will start looking at you because there's something about you that the world cannot offer. There's something about David that Saul couldn't find in medication, he couldn't find in self-soothing, that his wife couldn't give him, that that nobody else could give him. And God looks at him and says, David, here's the next step. Here's the next step. So someone looks at David and says, David, uh, we want you to come, right? And this is where we're picking up from this verse, right? All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's son from Bethlehem is a talented heart player. Not only is he a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment, he will also... He is also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. So verse 21, so David went to Saul and began serving him. Now listen to this. Just anointed king of Israel, going back to his sheep, and the present king is calling him, and Saul has no clue that the guy that he's about to invite to his palace is about to take his crown. This is so important for us to understand. And the Bible is so beautiful when it says this. So David went to Saul. He didn't didn't, didn't throw a hissy fit and say, oh no, why should he summon me? I'm king now. David knew even though God's, uh, even though God's, sorry about that. Even though God's promises were there, He knew something that as long as God did not promote him, as long as his time did not come, he knew that his promotion was not theirs yet and he had to wait patiently. Look at someone sitting next to you and say, you better wait. So David went to Saul and began serving him. And the Bible says that Saul loved David very much and David became his armor bearer. That's amazing what the power and the presence of God and the anointing of God on somebody's life, it can bring favor on your life immediately. A man that was godless, here is Saul looking at somebody for the very first time and saying, man, I love you already. That's favor from God. When you have God in your life, when you are anointed, when you have a heart of gold that God looks at, he's looking at you and saying, man, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You don't have to go seeking favor. You don't have to knock on people's doors asking them for promotions. Man, you get your heart straight with God and people will come knocking on your doors. And the story of David is one of those where people came seeking him. He didn't seek his promotions. Sometimes we spend so much time seeking our own promotions and God's looking at us and saying, guys, what are y'all doing? We talked about this, man. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. Look at him. Look at what he's offering. You seek him first and all these things shall be added unto you. So David comes and this is how the story goes. David comes and he starts playing the harp. And the Bible says every time he starts playing and as, as the music just comes and as, the, as he's playing, the evil spirit's just beginning to begin to disappear from Saul and Saul is back to normal and Saul's like, man, I'm happy with this guy. So David goes back home and comes back to Jerusalem, goes back, comes back. He keeps coming. Every time Saul summons him, are you, are you understanding this is humility in its finest? Never once did David says, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to submit to him. But he says, when my time comes, 
God will honor me. Let me tell you something. A giant slayer wasn't born within a day. A giant slayer was groomed in God's perfect timing. God is raising some giant slayers. I don't know what you're going to slay. I don't know which giant you're going to slay, but I'm prophesying and I'm speaking over your life and I'm telling you something this morning. God is raising you up, but you do it according to God's timeline and say, God, I'm going to serve. I'm going to push. I'm going to grind. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do to the point where you are ready to promote me and in chapter 7 verse number 13 this is what the Bible says Jesse's three oldest sons Eliab Abinadab and Shema had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines and verse 14 says this David was the youngest son David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. I told you this, being anointed did not grant him the throne immediately. This is beautiful and I was talking to somebody about this the other day and I was telling them this. I was like, every single time I read this story, I learn something new. The story that I know is a story where David is, is, is just tending his sheep and one fine day his father calls him and says, hey, take this food to your brothers and he just shows up and he's like, whoa, who's this giant? Oh, it's him. All right, let me fight him. This is the story that we've heard, right? But the scripture is telling us something so different. This is what the Bible says. And David went back and forth so he could help his father. So 40 days, right? 40 days. If you read the backdrop of the story, 40 days. This, this, this battle has been going on. The people of Israel, the people of Philistines have been camped on either side of the valley of Elah, one on this mountain, one on the other mountain, and they're waiting to go down to the valley to fight. Not one would go, because it's a dangerous position to be in. So both of them are waiting, and he hears Goliath every single day, and this is what the Bible says. Unlike us thinking that on the 40th day, David just shows up and says, where's Goliath? Let me slay him. No, 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 no. The Bible says every single day, every now and then, David would take food from his dad and bring it to his brothers. Every single time, Saul was tormented and Saul needed David. And you know how 35 miles between the place that the Israelites were camped, 35 miles between Elah and between Bethlehem, which was the house of David. How did he come? Did he jump onto his BMW and and roll up? No. The shepherd boy made sure he entrusted his sheep to somebody else and said, no, 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 I know this is my profession, but God is calling me for this moment in my life because there's a ministry that I'm about to do. Yeah, I'm gonna be king one day, but right now I gotta serve somebody. So every single time Saul would call 35 miles, he's walking one way, he's finished. And every time he finishes playing the harp, that's all. Not fighting a battle, not wearing an armor, not having a knife, not having a sword, not having a sling, nothing. Here's a man that just walks 35 miles to go play the harp. 40 days. I don't know how many of these 40 days David went, but the Bible clearly says, but David went back and forth. You know why? Not for Saul, but the Bible says to help his father out. Even when he was anointed king, he didn't, the giant slayer didn't forget that his first commitment was to his father. 
Guys that are listening to me, women that are listening to me, men that are listening to me, fathers and mothers, remember no matter where God takes you in life, no matter what ministry you do, no matter what responsibilities you have at job, in your job, at your ministry, whatever it is, remember that your first calling is the most important calling in your life. Don't substitute that for what the temporary calling in your life is. He always made sure that he honored his father because that was his calling. To be a giant slayer was not something that happened within a day. It was a journey. He had to work for it. He kept going to and forth from being a shepherd to the palace, from the sheep to the scepter, from shepherd to worship leader, from worship leader back to shepherd, from stinky to smelling good, from smelling good back to the pigsty, back to the, and, and here is this man. Man, if I was there, I would be like, Lord, what's going on with my life? Can I have some stability? Aren't there moments in your life that you wish there was stability? 35 miles every single day. But he made sure he was available to serve God and use his talents whenever it was needed because his heart was a heart of gold. When you serve, don't serve expecting something. Serve without expecting. That's when your heart is amplified. That's when the condition of your heart is exemplified before God. And God looks at him and says, behold, I found a man, I have found a woman that has no ulterior motive, that has no, you know, that, is, is not afraid or not worried about what he might get out of this situation. God wanted him to stay humble because what Israel needed was not just a leader, he needed a worshiping leader. They, what, what, what God needed at that point of time was not another Saul, he wanted a person that was godly who would stand and who would rule knowing that God was the one that ruled. He was just there to lead the people. God doesn't just need another worker in your office. He needs a worshiping one. He was familiar with the battleground, even though he was only taking food back and forth. Every single day, he would, he would bring the food and he would hear this giant screaming on top of his head. And day 40, he was like, man, I'm sick and tired of this. And there's this confidence that comes in, right? Verse 15, but David went back and forth, right? But here's the thing. Don't let the palace fool you. Stay grounded to what God has called you to do till you get permission from God to officially move into the palace. Sometimes God will give you glimpses of the palace. Even though he's anointed you as king, Sometimes you're gonna go into the palace and out of the palace, into your blessing, out of your blessing, gonna get glimpses here and there. But God's like, man, it doesn't mean that I'm moving you in. A glimpse of the palace is God testing you how you can handle the blessing, how you can handle the fanfare, how you can handle all the glory. And if you stay humble and rooted in what God is calling you to do, God will honor you in his time. First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 17. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle, camped between Soko and Judah and Ezekah and Ephidam. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with a valley in between. David is standing in, in, in front of a defining moment in his life. Here's one thing that I want to leave you with. Facing giants can be an intimidating experience. Verse 16 tells us that Goliath had come out and challenged them 80 times, 80 times. 
Every morning, every night for 40 days. The question before them was this, would they flee or would they put their faith in God? And according to verse 24, they all ran away in great fear. That's what the Bible says. Chuck Swindoll says this. He says, intimidation is our major battle when we face giants. Remember, giants are always present in everything we do. The imposing Goliath appears in verse 4, announced as this champion of the Philistines, right? The military champion has stepped out. He's ready for battle. He stands well over nine feet tall. He's wielding and, you know, his weaponry, this bronze javelin that he has. He's making Shaquille O'Neal look like he belongs to munchkin land. He's overpowering. He's intimidating. And here he is by the very sight of Goliath. The armies of Israel were shaken in their boots. They were paralyzed with fear personal valleys I'm telling you sometimes personal valleys in your life become the site of personal conflicts in your life there are giants of the soul there are giants that many of us are dealing with in our lives the Goliaths that we face comes in many forms and shapes some of them large some of them big some of them small and we don't even know it your giant might be an overwhelming set of circumstances it could be something you're going through in your job. It could be a medical condition. It could be a person in your workplace. It could be a situation with your employment. For some, it is the Goliath of habitual sin that meets you in the valley of weakness to continually intimidate you and rob you of your personal joy, of your hope and your freedom. But whatever we struggle silently or have allowed others to become a part of our lives, right? God, God looks at us and says, man, your struggles are temporary. And the things that you're going through are, are things that you can look at and say, man, if God has chosen me for a moment like this, I'm not going to allow this giant to intimidate me. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says this, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion. Goliath has crossed the line. Here's the thing, guys. If you tolerate the giant long enough, he'll take over your territory. He'll move right into your camp. They'll dominate your thoughts. They'll steal your joy. They'll take your peace. And David is at that point. He can't tolerate this giant anymore. Some of y'all need to be sick and tired of the giants that intimidate you. Some of you, like David needs to be like, it's been 40 days, I'm sick and tired of this. And you need to say, I can't afford to tolerate this giant anymore. I'm about to kill this giant right now, right here. What area of your life are you feeling paralyzed like the Israelites were? Are you feeling overwhelmed in your life? What problem is paralyzing you? What is the first thing that you think about in the morning and the last thing that fills your mind before you get to bed at night? Because here's the reality, your Goliath doesn't stand with a sword. He brandishes blades of an unemployment and he throws abandonment at you and sexual abuse at you or depression at you. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom, your personal life. He brings bills that you can't pay, grades you can't make, people that you can't please, alcohol and drugs that you can't resist, pornography that you can't refuse, a career that you can't escape, a past that you can't shake and a future that you can't face. David calls the giant 
and says, I'm not going to tolerate you anymore. But here's the beautiful part, right? Verse 28, when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, the Bible says he was angry, right? What are you doing around here anyway? anyway? Verse 28, he looks at David and he's mad at him, he's angry at him, and he says, what are you doing here, David? He demanded, what about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. Now, now get this. Remember, here's, here's a lesson I want us to understand. Remember, do not get swayed and distracted by personal attacks when facing your battle. Remember that there's a Goliath in front of you and there are so many things that can come next to you to distract you from what your target is. And David's basically looking at him and saying, boy, I have no time for you right now. Yeah, you've been, you've been bullying me all my life, but not today, Satan. Not, not right now. You've got to look at those things that come and creep into your life from time to time and distract you from the goal that is ahead of you. Sometimes it's those small voices that you hear. Sometimes it's those people that talk to you. Verse 28, here's his brother coming, David's oldest brother. He has been passed over for the kingly throne. Samuel has looked over him. Samuel has looked at, looked at him and said, no, you're no good to be the king of Israel. You might be big, but I don't care for you. So, so here's this guy. He's angry. He's been passed over. And in response to David, his response to David is an outright question of character to humiliate him, to put him down. An average person would have taken issue with what he said. He would have fought him down. He would have said, what's wrong with you? But but David was focused on the real conflict at hand. When you're going through a spiritual warfare, don't let the enemy bring these side things that distract you from the focus that's in your, in your heart. But what, what God has put in front of you, you know, and, and he look, he's looking at him and saying, man, why, why, why are you talking to me right now? I have a Goliath to fight. Guys, this is what I want to encourage you with. Be careful to avoid wasting precious energy fighting the wrong enemy. We may have difficult people in our families, but don't treat them like your enemy. Don't you have those people, I always talk about this, don't you have those people in your life, man, you talk to them for five minutes and you're depressed for the rest of the day. Just five minutes. For some of y'all, it's like one minute. You just have to say hi to them and you're like... It's crazy, it's, it's the truth. The real enemy is out to divide your family. It's there to break up your home or your job or your future. That's your real enemy. The real enemy is the one who wants to keep us powerless from touching this community or, 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 or being an impact in this church or being an impact wherever God has put you. That's the real enemy. Stop allowing daddy or mommy or brother or sister or, or somebody else to tell you that you're no good, to tell you that you're doing something wrong. You tell them to hush. You have bigger things to worry about. You have greater things that God has put in front of you. David is looking at him and saying, I have no time for your shenanigans. I'm a giant slayer. I have come with a mission in my heart. And I'm going to make sure I slay this giant that's standing in front of me today. I don't know what giant's standing in front of you. But when I face my, giant, my giants, I use what, what, what David uses. And you know, David uses... This thing called the law of precedence. I don't know if you know what that means, but here's what it means. In the legal world, if, if a lawyer is 
fighting a case, and I don't know if there's any legal people over here, and I probably might be way off, but this is how I understand it. When a lawyer fights a case and he's arguing for his client, the lawyer does his homework to go back into the law books and into history and into Supreme Court rulings and different judges that have ruled in a similar case, and they would find out precedence in that particular case. And sometimes all that that lawyer needs is that particular precedence that happened in 1998 or 2010 for a case that he's fighting in 2018, and he would bring it to court and say, honorable judge, I respect you, I respect my, you know, people sitting over here, I respect everyone in this room, but I don't know if you remember, but in the year 2010, in a very similar case like this, that judge ruled in favor of that person because of this law and this law and this law, and because of that precedence, your honor, you should also rule in the same way. And, and David knows how to do that, right? Here's what he does in verse 34. The, the giant is looking at him and tearing him down and pulling him down and speaking death into him and calling him a dog and all of these things. But in verse 34, but David persisted and he said, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb, right? If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw like it's nothing, right? And then and, and club it to death. I have done this to lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too for he has offended the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. He's basically saying, you know why I have this confidence? You know why I have this boldness? I'll tell you why. Because I have a God and you know what this God does, John? Two years ago, when I was going through a similar situation, when my daddy was going through a similar situation, oh, my family got down on our knees and we prayed. Oh, come on, son, you better. When this lion tear a tear apart, my marriage, my wife and myself, we got together and we started praying and fasting and seeking the face of the Lord. And you know what, devil? It's, you're not gonna threaten me anymore because the same God that made our marriage work and succeed yesterday, that same God is the God that I serve and he will fight for us because the battle belongs to the Lord. Can somebody say amen this morning? He says, I've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. And that's what the faithful God means. It means I am faithful. I'm it's beautiful. Even when you're not faithful to me, I will be faithful to you. That's, that's the quality of our God. He's a faithful God. And here's David saying that I, I don't, it takes, David's probably like, like me, it takes more faith for me to disbelieve than to believe. Because for me, man, I've seen it all. I've seen the valley, I've seen the palace, I've seen the, the, the pigsty, I've seen every part of my life. I've been the prodigal. I've seen every stage where God has taken me up and down, but every single time I lose faith and I lose hope, I can always point my situation back to when God brought me out and delivered me and put me on the rock to stand. And I will look at the devil, and I will look at Goliath, I will look at these threatening forces that are against me, and I will tell them that I will come through this one more time because my God is on my side.
And you know why? Here's what I love about David. I'm going to close with this. Here's what I love about David. No one else discusses God. David discusses no one but God. What what am I talking about? David sees what others don't see and refuses to see what others do. David actually majors in God. He's he's, uh, street smart. Hasn't been to any university. His major was God. And all he knows is God. When the lion came against me, God. When the bear came against me, God. He sees the giant, mind you. But he sees God more than he sees the giant. Why am I saying that? If you count the number of times David makes a statement about Goliath, you will only find two instances. All right? Now listen to the number of times he refers to God. Verse 26, the armies of the living God. Verse 36, the armies of the living God. Verse 45, the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel. Verse 46, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47, the Lord does not serve save with a sword and a spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. David refers to God nine times in this passage compared to only two times... Here's here's what I'm trying to say. Minimize the devil and focus on God today. Stop giving devil the the importance that he doesn't need in your life. Sometimes we focus so much on our Jordans and we focus so much on our Red Seas and we forget about this God that is there, that is bigger than our problems, bigger than the issues we're going through. And God is basically looking at you and saying, hey, if you want to experience victory, let your thoughts and your mind be about me. In the movie Facing the Giants, the football coach, after spending some time in word and prayer, has his epiphany and concludes this, and he says, our goal is not to win football games. Our goal is to honor God. When you face giants, your job is not to worry about how you're going to defeat your giant. Your worry is about glorifying God, praising God, giving God the, the, the due respect and the due honor and the due worship he requires and he needs. And you know what? There's something magical about that situation. When you raise God up, even Jesus says that, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me, is what the Bible says. There's something about, something about Jesus being magnified. Jesus being lifted up Jesus being enthroned when you put Jesus at the center of your lives there's something beautiful that happens that no eye has seen no ear has heard no heart has ever imagined David was a nobody a nobody that nobody noticed but God knew him because God didn't look at the surface God only knew his heart I don't care if people don't notice you There's somebody that notices your heart, and if your heart is gold, man, you know when Jesus won the battle against Satan at the cross? Those who he represents join in that victory. There are actually some pretty cool comparisons between David's victory and Jesus' victory. 
Both of them were born in Bethlehem. Both fought when their enemy was able to dominate through fear. Both of them were sent to the battlefield by their father. Both of them were rejected and scorned by their own brethren. Both fought a battle when the victory was assured even before it started. Both disarmed the enemy and rendered him powerless. My question to you today is what does God see you in you this morning? Does he see that you have abilities or does he see that you have heart? There's a story about this famous artist who was once walking down the streets of Florence, Italy. And he was passing by this, this fellow artist's studio. And on the ground he saw this huge piece of marble just lying over there. It was worked on a little bit and he said, why is this just over here, I've been noticing it every single day that I've been walking by. And the artist friend came up to him and said, oh man, I've tried working in it for, on it for 50 years, but it's worthless. I've, I've tried everything that I could. It's worthless. You could use it as paving blocks now. Nothing more than that. The artist that was talking to him shook his head and he said, man, if you don't want to give it to me, I'll take it to my studio. There's something special imprisoned within that stone. This guy takes it to his studio, puts this piece of marble up, looks at it from every angle, starts chiseling away. The stone that was once rejected, he creates this beautiful masterpiece. The name of the artist was Michelangelo, and that beautiful piece of art was named David. And that piece of art is still renowned today. I would have put it up on screen, but for various reasons I didn't. But here's what I want you to think through this lesson. When you may think that you don't look like much, when you may not, you may not think that you're very significant, and to be honest, not many of us here will ever be celebrities or make the national top 10 list. But what a glorious thing is when Jesus takes a life that is scarred that is overlooked, that is jaded, that is torn, that is a misfit, and he makes a masterpiece out of it. What I want to remind you of this morning is you're significant. You are created to be a story that is worth writing, and he that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I want to pray for you this evening. Would you stand up to your feet all over this place?